The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are joined at the board by our audio wizard, our producer. He is the man we call bad boy Benny Mathers at the board, and he lives up to it at every opportunity. But he's not bad on the air. We're always happy to have him with us. Benny, how are you today? <laughs> it's so good to hear from you guys. <laughs> it's so good to have you, have you here. I'm so sorry. I'm so upset right now. <laughs> 12 years on the air, we're still experiencing these outbursts of emotion from, from know, our I'm buddy so Benny. Now, does this have anything to do with the the near miss, the the two-point loss that the Seahawks suffered at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, no, I've gotten over that. (laughs) Okay, that sounds good. (laughs) No problem there. (laughs) Wacky times in football. We'll see how all that goes. Interesting playoff year for sure. And I also had a a minor trauma when the uh, Bears kicked their three-point field goal to win but were iced. And he had to do it over again and hit the goalpost. So, so uh, to support the kicker, he was partially blocked. I think a fingernail got in there. So I'm going to give that. Mm-hmm. I think he would have made it. You do? Huh? Yeah, I don't. I think he really was tipped just a little bit. Doesn't take much from that far out. No, so. it doesn't. It doesn't. And I'll just conclude this by saying my hometown Baltimore Ravens showed up. It was in the fourth quarter, but they showed up. <laughs> so such is football. Well, life's a journey, and we we meet some strangers on the road, and we learn our life lessons. I think that football is an analogy of life in many ways. And that's entirely fitting for our show today, because we're going to discuss a wonderful book. It's a large parable, a very moving one, called The Mosaic. And Suzanne, with your good pleasure and your permission, I will go ahead and introduce our guest because we don't want to keep Daniel waiting. Can I interrupt for just a second, though? You never actually asked why I was crying, though, why I was upset. You just, okay, well, we got past your birthday, and well, the Seahawks, that's easy. Yeah, I'm out of options here. What? Why are you crying? The viaduct, Seattle viaduct, is officially done as of today. Is it really? Yeah. Well, go ahead and throw that applause in there. Um, there's no applause? Okay, well, maybe well, I'll, do, I'll do that. Uh, since uh, 1953, there's no longer going to be a Seattle viaduct here in, Se- in the lovely Puget Sound region. So they're making way for more. So anyways, kudos to the viaduct. Just saying. And I think they should rename it the Groucho Marx Wyaduck. <laughs> oh, hey hey Thank you for that update, Benny Mathers. <laughs> here comes some mad props. A groundbreaking book in the tradition of the alchemist and the Celestine prophecy, The Mosaic, by marketing expert and activist Daniel Bruce Levin, invites you to see the world from a new point of view, one that focuses on what connects us to each other and brings us happiness. The Mosaic follows the journey of Mo, a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. When he asks the adults where his parents went, They tell him they are in heaven. Mo sets out to find the place called heaven, and along the way, he meets an assortment of ordinary people who are anything but ordinary. Daniel Bruce Levin has been in spiritual practice for more than 25 years. He is the founder and owner of Zensei Incorporated, a clothing company that offers unique and original items that help people relax and feel peace. He has spent 14 years in monasteries all over the world and has taught thousands of people how to live a more practical, centered life. And then we're going to give out, when we get to what we call the marketing piece, we will give out 
all those avenues, including the website where you can get up close and personal with Daniel Levin, who is absolutely, and I said Levin, and I think it's Levin, Daniel no, Bruce it's, Levin. It's, it's any way you want to pronounce it, and I like Levin. Oh, that's, that's so doggone zen of him. Okay, we're there already. <laughs> Daniel, welcome to Manson Mitchell. Thrilled to have you on for the very first time. Thank you so much. And I, I can't tell you how much I like the fact, the fact that you spoke about football coming in. Because two of the teams that I am currently hometowning in, the Philadelphia Eagles, somehow pulled off that win with that missed field goal. And the, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, which were the San Diego Chargers, somehow showed up and, and won their game, too. So Someone's got to come my, out on top. So we'll give it to them. Someone's right. got to come out on top. <laughs> so well, that makes me excited. You are aligned with the winners, Daniel. Aligned with the winners. Yeah. For, but it took a long time. Philadelphia Eagles haven't won except for the Super Bowl last year. They haven't won since, what, like 1960 or something? Right. Right. I think that was back in uh, Norm Sneed days. Yes. Sonny Jerkinson, like maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, so you are riding high, that's for sure, Daniel. I am very delighted that you were kind enough to send us a copy of The Mosaic. I've been reading it to Suzanne, and I said to her after the first chapter, this is a deep book, and it reminds me of a parable. It, it's not a novel, per se. It's uh, rather in the tradition, now, it, it was mentioned the Celestine Prophecy. Duh, I forgot about that. I'm a bit of an old-timer, and I remember Jonathan Livingston Seagull and how— yes. The, the idea of allegory can become so important in imparting life lessons. And believe me, that's what you're doing with the mosaic. I get it. Thank you so much. It was interesting because it wasn't the book that I originally set out to write. What I set out to write was I'm 63 years old now. So I thought I would like to leave some sort of legacy to the world, just of the people that know me at least, to think of what I think and what I believe. And because I worked at Hay House for 10 years, and I helped Hay House grow from a $3 million a year company to a $100 million company as a director of business development there, I wrote a self-help book. And I sent it off to a person that I really trust. And she said, Danny, the ideas in this are so fresh and exciting, but it's not your book. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? I said, do you feel like I plagiarized it? And she said, no, no, God, no, I don't feel like you plagiarized it. You're a storyteller. Why wouldn't you write a story? Why are you writing a self-help book? Write a story. And I said, but this is my legacy. And I fought her for about a minute and a half until it finally came to me. That when we read a story, what happens is we're not being taught anything. We're just being told a story. And that story, if we write a good story, becomes personalized. And we see ourselves in that story. And we start to have the story relate to us in different ways. I was on a podcast yesterday, and someone was telling me about a character in the book, and I had never even thought about the character in that way. Because what happened for me when I was writing the mosaic is I would write it, and it would unwrite it. It would erase it. Because I was trying to say what I thought it should say, rather than listening to what the characters and the story wanted to say. Until it told me what it wants. And now the beauty of that is that when I go back and I read it now, I say, oh, my God, that's what I was. That's what I'm talking about now, because a story that talks about what would we 
see if we could see what we don't see? Isn't it only fitting that that story would only hint at things that we can see later on if we have the interest to look at it? And so that's the beauty of it. It's, it, it's, a, living, it's a living reality. The mosaic is a real entity, and it, when we allow ourselves to connect to it, it connects us to where it wants to, us to go, where it's good for us to go. And if we have the courage to walk through those doors that it opens, our whole world will change. Because here's the beautiful thing. We are one connection away from everything we want. If we want our soulmate, we're one connection away from it. If we want to be more prosperous, we're one connection away from it. If we want to have more fulfillment in the work that we do, we're one connection away from it. If we want to be happier, we're one connection away from it. And when we make that connection, everything changes. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to. Daniel, when you're <laughs> when you're talking about um, these one connection away from things, one of the questions that comes to my mind is. Did you discover this through experience or was this something that came to you as a thought or a theory that you wanted to expand on? Was it a thought, an experience, or some of each? Um, mostly experience. Um, okay. Then, then because the experience was so foreign to me, I started to think about what, it, what the heck is going on here. I mean, when we leave the silos of our protected world, it's scary. And what for me, I've had so much pain in my life that I've built, I've built walls around me to protect myself from that pain. And to go outside of those walls, to leave our comfort zone, to go beyond the places where we feel, even though we're in pain, we know it's familiar to us, so we just stay there, is scary as hell. And when those walls melt down and suddenly I'm, I'm on the outside of my wall, or my wall doesn't exist, I had to start to think about how in the world do I deal with this reality? And so the experience led the thought this time. But in general, what happens in life, and it's a, it's my, it's a change formula that I, that I discovered, it's that our thoughts create our words. Our words create our stories. And our stories create our life. When I'm writing the mosaic, I would... I, I was writing a book for a, a hotel, the Grand Hotel. It was the Andaz in, uh, in Maui. It was the most anticipated hotel opening of 2013. And the general manager and I were friends, and he called me up and he said, will you brand our hotel? And I said, what the heck are you talking about? I've never branded anything in my life. He said, no, you're a storyteller. I want you to tell a story. I want you to write the story of the hotel. I said, what is the story? He said, there is no story. I want you to write it. And so I looked at their core values, and I took from their core values attributes that, that I create, and I created characters from those attributes. And I told the story. Well, one of the, one of the characters in that story was the manly man, the guy that every man wanted to be like. He was the best surfer and the best warrior and the beautiful and a, and a handsome man that all the women loved. And I wrote at the end of his chapter, and every night he went home with a different woman. And they sent it back to me, and they said, Danny, this is going to be a family hotel. We can't have that be the this, this story. So I erased those 10 words, and I said, every night, even though he could go home to any woman on the island, he's thrilled. he was thrilled to go home to the one woman that could always lit him up. And they said, now that's what we're talking about. But it was just a few words that changed the whole story. 
and it changed the thought of the whole thing. So in, it, I'm saying to you now that it works both ways. If your experience happens, it can change your thoughts, but your thoughts and your words and your, and your experiences create your stories, which create your life. Does that make sense to you? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a great deal of sense to me as well, Daniel, because if we go way, way back to the Platonic idea of how reality comes to exist, we realize that whatever it is that we hold in our hands or see before us started as a thought. And I think many yeah. times the example is a table or a chair. Well, if it doesn't yep. exist now, the constituent elements of that table or chair are found in nature, but they have to be thought of and then created and fashioned into the reality that becomes useful to us. And it does begin in the thought life of the individual. Uh, absolutely. And if I can take that and, and turn the table even more on that. So that's in the physical reality of the things that we experience and the things that we create and the things that we make. How about in this thought? We believe so strongly in the lie that the world tells us that we suddenly call it the truth. And we so we believe the truth is that we are separate. And we believe the lie is truth is the truth, but the lie isn't the truth. We are, uh, all, science is telling us, and, and metaphysics has, has told us for years, we are all connected because when we look at, at, the, at the form of our bodies under a magnifying glass, we do not see form. We see swirls of energy, molecules, and atoms moving at speeds that are unbelievable. And it, it, it creates in our vision a form. But if you look at the form, it's not a form. So when we have no form, everything that separates us is just, is just an illusion. It's just we see ourselves as, as, as a form when we're actually energy. Now, what would happen if we were energy? What we would realize is the air that you're exhaling right this minute, I'm inhaling five seconds later because those molecules are moving at a speed. There's no distance in space between us. We have conversations with people we never even knew, and we feel completely connected to them. How is that possible? Because there's no separation. There's no distance. There's no time and space. Only the, the illusion, only the lie that we've created in our head. And that's what the mosaic showed me. That's what happened at, at a certain point where Mo, where Mo saw that what he was seeing and the people that he met was not at all what they were. He met a monk that unzipped the sky and walked him into a parallel reality where the wise one gave him this experience of the mosaic, which is of complete wonder. And he realized suddenly everything, that parallel reality and the reality that he was in before, that, before the sky unzipped, operate at the same time. So what would happen if we would realize that we live in multiple realities all at the same time? What would, what would happen if we realized the future is in our grasp and we can see it and bring it into the present? None of this is what the story's about, but all of it is what the story hints at. And that's what's so exquisite about it, because once you read it and once you allow this mosaic to enter into you, it will start to connect you to things that you never even imagined were possible. It connects you with um, things. It also it connects you with people. When we were reading the book and Mo meets 
various people on his journey, a, a road worker and a, and, a, and a man who's selling tacos, a street vendor, and all these people. It reminded me, uh, Daniel, of how transactional that we are with people, that we need to do something for them, they need to do something for us. There's this quid pro quo going on. And it's, it's like we're trying to get something done. But the moment that you kind of get into them as human beings and find out that they have, um, you know, an, an injury or an illness or something that is like what you had or a relationship with a family member and you had that same kind of relationship with a family member all of a sudden, you know, maybe they came from Philadelphia, you came from Philadelphia. It, it's like when you when you get through that transactional nature of, you know, here's my $10, give me my item, goodbye. When you get past that, when you get more deep into it, all of a sudden you do see those connections. And so yes. this illusion of being separate is is just that it's an illusion if you take even one tiny little step to say something personal about yourself or inquire about something personal with the other person an entire new world opens up and and yeah. then they're not they're not just a robot who is you know handing you a piece of paper or an envelope or you know an item all of a sudden it becomes a much bigger connection. And, you know, in some ways it feels completely wonderful to find out that you met somebody from your hometown or you both have the same last name or whatever it might be that connects you, like the mosaic. But don't you think it's also sometimes just a little bit scary that there are that many synchronicities and that many similarities with other people? Why, why do you think it's scary? It, it becomes a little bit overwhelming that we are that connected to millions of people on the planet for all different reasons. So if I can reframe that for you, because I understand Please. it and I know that fear. And that's mm -hmm. why I blockaded myself and my silos with walls around me so that I wouldn't get hurt by all those people that are so close to me that could hurt me. But look at the other possibility. When I say one, we're one connection away, imagine if we would take the time to really just listen to each other rather than talk over each other. Imagine what that would do for us. Let's just take such an obvious example that exists in our country right now which is our political environment. And it doesn't matter what side you're on, if you're a Democrat or a Republican, if you're pro-Trump or against Trump, nobody listens to each other anymore. We talk over each other. We don't allow each other to say their point of view. It's almost as if we don't care about solving the problem. We care that our side has solved the problem. We care that it's gonna be us that creates the solution. And we have a standoff right now where the government is shut down and 800,000 people are not going to be able to pay their rent, are not going to be able to pay their utility bills, are not going to be able to buy food because we're so stubborn and we won't listen to each other. And I'm not blaming one side or another. When we stand on the sides of our life, 
we never get to the middle. And we have to get to the middle because a relationship is a give and a take. When we're only talking and not listening, we don't have anything. So if I can reframe it for you, if we would see that we are connected to so many people, well, I bet there are people that I'm connected to that have the prosperity that I want. Let me connect to them. Let me just let me just call on their energy. I don't even have to talk with them, but I could call on their energy and just bring their energy into my being. I could I could I could reach out to them and say, "Can you help me?" But that takes a certain amount of vulnerability that a, a man in a wall silo doesn't want to show. And why don't we want to show it? Because I think in part. Kidding. I'm sorry. Go please ahead. finish your thought. No, no. Go ahead. A lot of times I think it's because, and I've experienced this myself, you don't want to admit vulnerability. We feel yeah. less than if we ask for help. First of all, we're in the role of supplicant if we choose to see it that way. And we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable to other human beings. And that is very scary for a lot of people. I would say most people. Yeah. So go. let's go back to this. Our thought creates our words. Our words create our stories, and our stories create our life. When we live with the thought that vulnerability is scary and it makes us less than someone else, that is the reality of our life. That's the story we create, and that's the life that we will have. But when we live a mosaic lifestyle, when we live the fact that there, we live right now in a vertical reality, there are people that are teach, there are teachers and there's students, there's government and there's people. Someone is someone is smarter and someone is dumber, and we're all trying to fix each other and help each other. Like I get sold by people so much every day. People are telling me, "Take their course, take their click funnels, do this, do that, and it'll help you." And it'll be, but it, but they don't even know what will help me. They're selling their program. When we live, the model of what we're living in has to change from a vertical reality where we know better than others. To a mosaic reality where we where the beauty of the mosaic is every piece, whether it's small or large, whether it's shiny or dull, whether it's textured or or, or without texture, whether it's broken or whole, comes together to create this beautiful reality that is much greater than any one of the pieces on their own. And it's by the coming together with each other, by leaning on each other, by by becoming a part of each other by being vulnerable to each other, that we all become stronger. Because what's happening for us by not being vulnerable is, and I'll tell you from my own experience, I was cowering behind my wall in a fetal position, crying my eyes out, hoping that you would never look over my wall and see who I really was hoping that you would only see the painted pictures that I put on my wall to make you believe that I was more than I am, that I was better than I am, that I was more successful than I am, that I was happier than I am. But if you ever got over those walls and saw me, you would, you would think I'm terrible. But you know what? What happened for me is the more vulnerable, vulnerable I became, the more I realized I became relatable to people. And people started to say, yeah, I feel that too. And I wish there was a place that we could talk about that. Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese monk, has a beautiful three-minute segment that you can see on YouTube 
It's a Super Soul Sunday interview with Oprah. And he speaks about the mosaic without, he doesn't, he, I'm, I'm saying he speaks about the mosaic. I wish that I could, I could have said it as beautifully as he does. So I use his words instead of mine because his words are much more beautiful. And he talks about the practice of compassionate listening. And he says, when we, what would happen? How would our dialogues change with each other if we would enter our conversations by saying to each other, I want to, I want to know you. I want to know what your pains are and your sufferings are because I don't see those. I only see the, the, the majesty of you. If you feel comfortable enough to share your pain and suffering with me, please do so. And I'm going to put it into this container, into this holding space, where you can just empty yourself of all of your pain and suffering and have it be in this holding tank. And the whole purpose of it is even if they start yelling at me, even if they start saying I'm the reason for their pain, even if they start accusing me of things, I just sit and listen and let that all come into this holding tank. Because the compassionate practice of that listening is that I am helping them rid themselves of the suffering that's been inside them. And by them being able to speak that suffering, by them being able to let go of that suffering and put it into this holding tank, it, it can exit their system. And at that point, we can sit together and say, how do you feel now? Is there more that you want to put in there? And, and what that does is it breaks down this, this fake wall that we're all perfect. And we all self-loathe ourselves because we're not perfect and we know we're not perfect. And we have to hold this persona out to the world that this is who we are and this is how successful we are. I meet people all the time that tell me of their past glory. And I, I ask them, what are your current, what's your current fears? I know you've done great things. Who are you now and what are you scared of? Where's your suffering and how can I, how can I hold the space for you to, to free yourself of that suffering? That's the mosaic. That's when the broken pieces come together and share their vulnerability with each other. That we start to create an artistry to this world that is so exquisite. That's a great place. It makes perfect sense, Daniel. You also have given me clear indication of where we need to go on the other side of our halftime here. We've been talking about football so much, so this is halftime. A short break after which we will take up our conversation with Daniel Bruce Levin. He is the author of The Mosaic. Do not confuse The Mosaic with a mere self-help book. They proliferate. The Mosaic is radically different as far as I'm concerned. It is a long, not too long to be read and enjoyed, but a long enough parable that provides tremendous allegorical wisdom for people who find themselves disconnected and lost, and we're all searching for our own version of heaven. The Mosaic points the way. More with Daniel on the other side of this break. You're listening to Manson Mitchell. Glad you tuned in to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. 
Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Ovarian cancer is devastating and difficult to diagnose. It's often only caught in advanced stages, and four out of five women will see the deadly disease return. I knew when ovarian cancer recurs, it's often incurable. It was terrifying, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Until recently, following chemotherapy, women with recurrent ovarian cancer had to simply watch and wait for their disease to come back. Well, we say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. Now, with maintenance therapies, women can extend their time in response and delay recurrence. Knowledge and awareness of your choices empowers you and gives you a greater sense of control. Let's call for a change in ovarian cancer care. The Not On My Watch movement empowers women facing recurrent ovarian cancer to take an informed and active role in managing their disease. Visit notonmywatch.com to learn more. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Daniel Bruce Levin, who wrote The Mosaic. And uh, Daniel, if people would like to get the book or if they would like to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? That's so kind of you to invite that information. They can go to themosaiconline.com. That's my website. Or they can, if they want to just get it through Amazon, which is the click, click, uh, quickest, easiest way to do it, just go to Amazon.com, type in the mosaic, Daniel Levin, and my that will you can either get it in Kindle or an hardback version. It's a beautiful book, and Gary keeps saying it's long. It's about 200 pages, but it's written it's written almost in a uh, poetic style. So it 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 takes about couple of couple hours few hours to read the whole thing from cover to cover if you would choose to do it that way it's a fun read actually uh, because it's not dry or or uh, you know pedantic or boring it is actually a fun read and when you have your protagonist there mo meeting all these different people it's always you can't wait to get to the next chapter to find out what his encounter is going to be with the next person on his journey so uh, I recommend it as a as a really good read. And, and I would also say that you can also enjoy it if you read it 
rather like the way I read the prophet, Khalil Gibran's classic, yes. there where you can do it in one sitting, but what's the hurry? It, right. I Enjoy like the it. idea of savoring wonderful allegorical literature, and this parable would be in that category of the kinds of books that I like to savor. I'll take my time with them, and they just mean more to me as a result. I Gary love, love books. Go ahead. Go ahead. I love what both of you were saying, because when I wrote it and, and I finished it, I thought, what books would this sit on the bookshelf with? And people who had read it told me it reminded them of The Alchemist, but I had never read The Alchemist. So I went back. I went to read The Alchemist. And as I'm reading through The Alchemist, I thought, holy moly, this sounds like The Mosaic. But I mean, obviously, The Alchemist was written before, but I had never read it. And it was such an honor to me after I read it that people would compare it in that light. But I also mm -hmm. thought about Jonathan Livingston Siegel, and I and I also mm -hmm. thought about you know some of the words of some of the works of Carlos Castaneda and some of and the Four Agreements, and they're just beautiful little books that have that are packed with stories that give us the ability to create our story. And it's what my dream is in it is not that you'll read my story or you'll meet my characters, but that will that the characters in this book will invite you to meet the characters that you pass by every day on your way to work every day when you're sitting in the restaurant, every day when you're with other people in a park, that you'll take a moment and you'll just say to people, take a moment and tell me one story from your life. I, that would thrill me to hear that story. And those, those, those yeah, and those connections are what make up the mosaic and our connections with everyone else on the planet. And as sure. you have pointed out uh, before, elsewhere, um, you know, that's been scientifically proven now. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to read a paragraph from your book um, because Gary and I read books to one another and then we discuss them. And so Gary was reading this part of your book and I said, oh, I really want to make a note about that. And it was it was very personal to me. On page 60, you write, the truth is I miss home, Mo said to himself, and as he thought about where he would go next, all he wanted was to go home and be with his dad. I don't like change, he realized. It scares me because it triggers in me the pain of losing my dad. That was the first big change in my life, and it was so painful. So now every time I'm on the road and things change, it brings up for me that pain. And yet, just like an animal can smell rain when it's still miles away, the road has heightened my senses. I know something new is coming. I can feel it, but I have no idea what it is or when it will come. I know the sun will soon rise and I must continue walking. The road will once again be my home. It will witness my thoughts and bring me to a new set of opportunities. The thing that struck me so much about that, Daniel, was whenever there is a change in our lives, even a good one, but whenever there's a change in our lives, it triggers a pain somewhere. And yeah. in this case, uh, it triggered the pain in Mo of losing his dad. So whenever there's a change, you know, I'd, I'd just like to go home and be with my dad. And, um, yeah. and uh, I myself lost my dad when he transitioned five years ago this week. And wow. I know when things come up as an as an adult grown up person, you know, I will suddenly miss either my mom or my dad. And it's yeah. like, you know, you you want to have that comfort of your folks around you saying, you know, it's OK. 
it's okay. You can go yeah. ahead and do this. And, and to uh, and find that courage to go through whatever change is going on. It, that just ha- somehow really touched me, Daniel, is that Thank you know you. change is inevitable. Nothing ever stays the same. But the way that you presented that was, yeah, every time things change, I, you know, I think about my, my folks. And, uh, and yeah. I think that's, that's, that's kind of common. Yeah, there's, we don't, I, I so appreciate you sharing that with me. And, and, I, and I can feel how intimate it is for you and the way you express it. Uh, and I think, there, I think the more we start to get to know ourselves and the more, most of the world, and I, I hope this doesn't sound like a judgment because I certainly don't mean it to, but most of us live sort of numbed out because we have our pains and we sort of numb over them. So we don't have to experience them. We drink alcohol. We over, we eat, we, I, and I do it too. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm exempt from it, but the more we take some time to go inside of ourselves and to see what what is it that is triggering us, what is it? How, how can we get to know ourselves a little bit more? It's if you think of a mosaic, it's made up of, of, of pieces. P I E C E. And when we know our peace, P-I-E-C-E, we actually know peace, P-E-A-C-E. And I know it's sort of a fun play of the English language, but it happens to be true. And most of us don't know our P-I-E-C-E. We don't know our peace very well. We don't allow ourselves to go in and see what activates, why am I so scared of change? Well, for me, what happened was I was scared of change because I didn't my dad was my hero. And when I lost him, I lost everything. And I covered it up and I had to be strong for my mom and I had to be, but I was 13 years old. I didn't have time to grieve because my mom was grieving so much because she was so in love with him. She died two years later on the same day. And in her journal, she wrote, I'm just holding out now till the 4th of July. It was the 4th of July. And the story that I created from both my parents dying on the 4th of July is they were teaching me to be independent. But it was only in writing the book, The Mosaic, some, some 45 years later and having a conversation about it over a coffee with a friend of mine that I realized they didn't teach me to be independent. What they taught me is independence is death. When we try and do things in the world on our own, we die. And they died on Independence Day to show me that independence is death. But the story that I made up to protect myself was that independence was the story and independence was the the way to live our life. I had to be independent. I couldn't be vulnerable. I couldn't show myself to anybody. But in the connection to other people, that's that's where vitality lives. Are you familiar with this concept of form intelligence? Form intelligence? Swarm. Swarm. Swarm intelligence. Oh, yes. Well, it, it the reminds, birds? The words. Yeah, I, I've yeah. seen it in the skies in our own neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I wonder, how can that happen? Yes. Yeah, so there are people now that are using AI to actually say the fish swarm together and, and birds and birds swarm together and, and ants swarm together. And there is no leader in the, in the, in the, fl- in the flock of, of birds. There is no leader, even though one's in front. 
they all move in synchronicity with each other. So this group of people uh, came together and created a swarm intelligence experiment. And people doubted them and said, that can't work. That's not the way humans operate. And they said, if you want it, we'll, we'll challenge you. They, because the people that created swarm intelligence said, no, this is a real thing. And they said, okay, if it's so real, get 60 people together in different parts of the world and tell us who's going to win the Kentucky Derby. First place, second place, third place, and fourth place. And there's something like a, a 538,000 to one chance that you could predict those things. They brought together 60 horse enthusiasts. They weren't experts. They, they just liked horse racing. And they connected them to a, a, through, through the Internet so that their mouth could move a puck in the middle of the circle. And on the edges of the circle were all the names of the horses that were running, the eight names of the horses that were running the Kentucky Derby. And they said, pick the person who, pick the horse that will come in first. And through the collected energy, through the swarm intelligence of that group, they predict, they came with the right answer for one, two, three, and four. The interesting thing is not one of them picked that horse to win, to be first, second, third, or fourth. There was only one of the 60 people that chose the horse that the group chose to come in third as the, as the horse that he chose to come in third. But everybody else chose differently. So there's a consciousness that I call the mosaic consciousness of swarm, that when we come together, we find new solutions, new answers, new possibilities, new realities that we could never even see on our own. None of us would come up with the solutions. And like Buckminster Fuller said, you can't solve the, the, the problems of the, of, the, of the world today cannot be solved with the thinking of the world today. We need to enter a new consciousness, a mosaic consciousness is what I'm calling it, a swarm intelligence where we come together as, as, as people and say, how do we solve this together? Because neither side is right. And that's what that swarm intelligence is showing us. Nobody is right on their own. But when we come together, we find new, new possibilities, new opportunities, new answers, new, new questions that we didn't even know were questions to create a new reality for it. It is so important for us to come together as, as a mosaic. And create I the love the potential when you talk about the mosaic, Daniel. I love the, the potential for human society or societies around the globe to form a kind of recombinant reality, because that's where it opens yeah. up an endless field of possibilities. And that's yeah. one of the main lessons I take from the mosaic. Now, this is interesting to me, Daniel, because I love what you just said. I like this idea of, uh, my word for it is recombinant, but the idea that this mosaic of the pieces fitting together and then you have a new reality, a new manifestation, it also depends a great deal on the simple, I say simple, uh, on the fact of, which can be quite complicated when I think about it, the fact of human perception. Our perceptual fields, our, our ability to interpret, our ability to criticize our own thinking and the thoughts of others. And that takes me to something way back in college days when I was an underclassman. And that was, I took a psychology class. And of course, we got into the figure ground theory. 
In a recent interview, Daniel, you talked about the figure ground theory, mentioning the socialite and the old hag. I'd like you to shed some light on what that can mean to readers of the mosaic. Wow, fabulous. So we've all seen that picture. It's a black and white drawing. They use it a lot of times in psychology, where in in the drawing, when you look at it, and that one's so well known that we're, most of us are able now to see the old hag and the socialite, at the, and we're able to move back and forth between the two images. But when when we see it initially for the first time, we see only one of those images. And so what happens is by seeing what we actually are seeing, it literally blocks us from seeing the other picture that's there existing at the same time in that same picture. Until something in our perceptive mind changes where we say, oh, no, that that chin is really a nose and and this is really a feather that's coming out. And and suddenly suddenly we have a perceptual shift that now lets us see the young, the socialite. And when we see the socialite, we can't even see the old hag that we just saw one moment ago. So that picture is so significant because the world that we see is literally blocking us from seeing another world that exists at exactly the same time. And you can take that into parallel realities. You can take it into other perspectives. You can take it into, in the mosaic, I write about it in the story of the blind, blind woman, that, a, that a, the blind woman comes to a village where everybody's blind, and they met a healer who actually lifted their blindness from them. But he said there's going to be one problem you're going to see the same thing in different colors. So you're going to see it purple, you're going to see it pink, you're going to see it green, you're going to see it blue, black, all the colors. Everybody saw it as a different color. But they were so happy originally that they could see now that they didn't care about those colors. But over time, as what as the miracle started to become the reality, and they started to think, that's not, that's not it's commonplace now for us to see. Now the problem is you, you don't see it the way I see it. And they started to try, they fought with each other and they yelled at each other and they screamed at each other. And people that were weaker decided, oh, it doesn't matter if I call, if, 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 I'm, if, if I see yellow, if they say it's red, I'll agree with them. And they left their own, their own place of knowing to go with the people that were screaming the loudest and the group that had screamed the loudest. And they were fighting each other of what the colors were. When in reality, they were seeing different colors and it was okay. And those different perspectives would have helped them to see a world that was so much richer. But we don't do that. We want to box everybody into a cute little box. And we want to say, this is who you are. This is what you do. And the beauty of the mosaic is that when Mo meets these ordinary people, he, has, he boxes them also. But when he sits with them and listens to their story, he realizes the people they are is completely different than the person he thought they were. And when he sees that what he sees is not what is, he asks himself the simple question, what would I be able to see if I could see what I don't see? That simple question will change our entire world. And that's the the hag and the young woman in that picture. If I could see what I don't see, if I if I look at the hag and I can't see the the young woman, you know, yeah. if I could see the young woman, that would change everything. Because right now I'm looking at an old hag. Totally. 
But but if there's so, a way to I, take that item and see it completely differently, there would be a, a young, beautiful woman to appreciate. And don't absolutely. we do that with the people in our lives where it's easier to, to see them the way we think that they are, the way that we see them is only in one way. And how totally. could we, you know, what, what are the advantages of now looking at somebody and not seeing an old hag, but seeing somebody magnificent? The, the advantages of that is we go from status quo to innovation. The advantages right. to that is that we go from disagreement to, to agreement. The advantages to that is that we see new possibilities. I believe in a world where everything is possible. The only reason why something is impossible to me is I don't see yet a way to make it possible. So as long as I sit with people who think like me and live in a like-minded community like I, like I used to live in, I will only continue to see the things that we all see together. The beauty of the mosaic is the opportunity to have us leave our like-minded communities, to start to mix with people of like and unlike minds, to see the world through the eyes of other people who see it differently than we do. Because maybe when you and I sit together and we see a different world, that piece that I was missing that kept my world impossible, suddenly I see in the way you see it and the blending of the way you see it and I see it suddenly makes the world possible to me. Some, suddenly makes something that wasn't possible now suddenly possible. And when we don't have the fear of letting other people in, when we don't have to worry about our own self-loathing, therefore, I, I just want to touch on this very quickly because I know we're going to have to go in a moment. I want to talk on the fact that there are four practices. There are four connections and four practices. And the practices, the four practices that bring connection, we think connection is just this, what we're doing, you and I talking together and me listening to you and hearing you. But that's the fourth connection. Connection to others is the fourth connection. First, there's a connection that I have to have to myself. Then I have to have a connection to something bigger than myself. Then I have to have a connection to the purpose of why I'm here. And then I have to have a connection. Then I can have a connection to others. But when I don't allow myself to connect to myself, even if I connect to you, all that's happening is my wall is connecting to your wall. I don't have a connection because I'm not connected to myself. And so I, I don't let you into me because I don't even know who me is. And if I don't understand that there's something above us that's driving this whole thing, that call it God, call it source, call it the universe, call it whatever you want, call it just something bigger than myself, there, then, then that gives, gives me a meaning that I'm not in this alone. There's some reason why I'm here. And when I, get, when I know that reason, that becomes my purpose. And so when I start to connect lovingly and vulnerably and purposefully to other people, that's when, through the civilization of the world, we've seen small groups of people come together, small groups that have changed the entire world because they have, they have purpose. They're not like-minded. They're purposeful, and they, they are open enough to the innovation of new ideas, of different ideas, that allows our world to change, and that's what we need now. We need enough people to come together to say enough of this world of hatred, enough of this divisive world, enough of this disconnected world. In the most connected time the world has ever known, we're more disconnected than we've ever been. We know what's happening in 10,000 miles away by putting on the, the TV in three seconds, but we don't know our next-door neighbor's name. 
it's time for us to change that reality because here's what I realized. The world that I'm living in is not the one I want to hand down to my children. The world I'm living in is one that I never dreamed would be a possibility that I would hand down to them. I want to create a world where, where we live in harmony, where we live in acceptance of each other, not where we live in fear in each other and hatred and, and, and tearing each other down. Why would we want to give that world to our kids? Why would we want to live in that world? So remember, our thoughts create our words, our words create our stories, and our stories create our lives. We have to change our thought about what is possible. So what if that old hag and that young socialite were suddenly now, the old hag was that we live in a divided, separate world, and the socialite was we live in a connected world, that all of us are connected. How will seeing that new perception that we're connected, we're not divided, change our entire reality? What if there was no one to hate because there was no one other than ourselves? That would be a great day for you know, empathy because then we step away from critical thinking and analysis as dominating our world with the technology that facilitates all that. And we get to look at ourselves in the mirror and look into each other's souls. And that's where empathy lives. Yeah, if you think about a mosaic, the pieces aren't connected flush to flush all one side to another every time. Sometimes it's just a tiny little point of one piece connected to another. But that connection is enough to allow the connection of the mosaic to spread. So in that reality where we're connected point to point, that means 358 degrees of our, of our reality is not connected. We're only connected in a two-degree two place. But if we would look for that connection rather than the separation, our world would be a different place. And that's the mosaic. That's the message of it. If we would see what we can't see, what would we see? I love that. Yeah. If we could see what we can't see, what would we see? I love that. Daniel Levin, please tell us that you will come back and talk with us again in 2019. Can we do that? It would be my honor and my privilege. I would love that. I think there's more for us to discuss. About there are more the pieces to put together here. Many, we got glue and everything. More pieces. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Daniel it. Bruce thank Levin, you. thank you so much, sir. And everybody go to themosaiconline.com to find out more about this remarkable book. Thank you so much, Daniel. We hope to talk to you again. Thank you so very much. I love you guys and appreciate you guys so much for the work you're thank doing. You. Thank you. And All have right. a great weekend. And the same to everybody else. Coming up next, Suzanne. We have Christine Upchurch, followed by Susan Harmon. And we'll be back on air tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific. 1 p.m. Eastern. If you happen to tune in live at 1150kknw.com in case you're outside Puget Sound. In the meantime, let this be the start of a great weekend, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.